If you're not mad about ads, and that's fair enough, choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts, and you can hear this podcast in all its glory without the ads. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast. John, I hope you have mausoleum type music in that oh. Oh. toolkit of yours because the Vespa has been not only injured, humiliated, it was robbed. We have to play. No way. My Vespa was robbed. Was it? Week. From outside the front door. Outside the house? Yeah, 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 yeah. The three, bastards! Three scrotes, as all they were. How do you know it was the... Because they took... Amazingly, right? They couldn't start it. Yeah. So they wheeled it around the back lane and they kicked it in. You're kidding. I swear to God. They do you know actually, what? That... They smashed it up because they couldn't start it, right? Not because of some great sort of defence system that I had built into it or, or, or anti-thievery. So they took it around the back lane and they smashed it up. You're kidding. It's and, and it's written off? Well, I, I talked to the guy at Scooter Island, my mate, and yeah, he said, yeah. don't worry, we'll fix it. But he said it happens quite a lot. And it's just that... Well, uh, it does happen a lot. But the interesting thing is on, like, yeah. the cops came. Yeah. They said it's all to do with TikTok. Go on. So young fellas are robbing bikes, Vespas, mopeds, everything, right? Yeah. They're filming themselves on TikTok and then they're burning them. Then they're just totaling them. And the reason they didn't they didn't total my one is they couldn't get it going. Right. right. So it's a TikTok phenomenon. And they didn't have a box of matches it's a, to it's start. A, exactly. It's a TikTok phenomenon. That's the that, kids in Dublin are robbing any sort of like I presume little scooters, Vespas, motorbikes, anything that moves reasonably quickly. And they're having races. Yeah. They're uploading those races yeah. on TikTok. And then they are the cops that they usually they usually just burn the thing out. Well, it. see, it's not a new thing because, you know, over the years I've had, what, three or four different Vespas. Vespas Little, yeah. Yours was a lovely 125. Mine were always 50cc ones. Yeah. But if... You, you wouldn't let John out with anything. <laughs> wasn't anything I, I didn't have the, that. I didn't have the license for that. But anytime you, like, you drive into town, and you'd leave it in town, you have a few gargles and you leave it in town, come back the next day. Gone. It's either gone or, or, kicked it is, in. or kicked in. And the worst one was, I went out to the airport one, I was going to London just overnight, and I parked in the motorbike stop in the no car way. park. And it was kicked in? It was locked up, 
but it was stripped down. They took the seats. They even took the rubber kind no of boards way. from the feet. I went into the airport cops. Nah, we saw nothing. <laughs> well, at least the cops in Dunleary said, look, we're going to try, but they just said, look, it's... it's it's a thing, it's yeah. It's a thing. They're such so a target. So this is a shout out. If you, little scrot, are listening to this podcast, <laughs> you robbed somehow. my Vespa. Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Next time, the, <laughs> I was saying, would it be great if I had actually run out the door and stopped them? And the cops said, no, that wouldn't have been good. <laughs> he said, much as we think, David, that you can look after yourself, you against three young fellas. No, but he's as just you're like, breaking he their arse laughing at Yeah, you. they're just laughing. Who's this our lad coming out? It's like, get off my land. Get off my Vespa. That's anyway, awful. so that's... It's such a pain in the arse, that. Yeah, but we'll get it. We'll get it fixed. We will ride yeah. again, Johnny Boy. We yes, will ride indeed. again. Yeah, yeah. But I was really looking forward to it. It's the summer. Yeah. It's Vespa time. Yeah. It's yeah, sunny. Your leather jacket all polished all up, ready polished to go. Up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, let us begin. We're going yeah. to talk about the census, John, but not just the Irish census, but the census as a thing. Yeah. And then we're going to percolate down into what the Irish census told us about this country. Yeah, yeah, okay. fascinating, fascinating stuff. There's loads of info in that. But before we start, before oh, we start, oh. I just want to come back to last week's podcast. All right. Because we were talking last week about the Mary Kay and oh, yes. the debt ceiling and all the rest. And they were teetering on the edge, as they have done several times before. Yeah. And... They got a deal done. Well, there's two, yes, there's two things we were talking about last week about America. One was this idea, remember we were talking about the idea that the American economy refuses to lie down. Yes. Right? Yes. And despite the Fed, and this is a fascinating, fascinating dilemma for the Federal Reserve, which is the following. The Federal Reserve has increased interest rates to five, says it's going to go to five and a half, maybe six, right? Mm. To crush the economy, to wring out inflation. And the assumption was the economy would roll over and accept Higher real interest rates, yeah. pushing down investment, pushing down spending, and pushing up unemployment. Not happening. The economy is like, yeah, not, I'm not having this, <laughs> right? So we were saying that the economy, this is the intriguing thing. On last week, the non-farm payroll figures, which is a figure that comes out every month, which shows the amount of jobs created in the United States in the non-farming sector. Right. So it covers services and covers manufacturing, okay, yeah, yeah. and the public sector, right? Mm. And it's looked at by all financial market players as indicating where interest rates are likely to go. So what you do is all the economists in the financial markets, of which mm. I was one years ago, mm. throw in their estimations of what they think will be the increase or decrease in employment. It's like a lottery. <laughs> it's, like, like, it's like the lotto, exactly, right? Next month, right? Yeah. The, then they aggregate them down. And in the aggregate, last month, economists believed all across the private sector, public sector, banking, blah, 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 that the American economy would create 195,000 jobs. Okay? Right. So okay. that's the baseline figure. The American economy, of course, comes in and creates 339,000 jobs. Right, okay. As if it's going to give them the two fingers to everyone. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Don't count me out. Yeah. I am yeah. still here. Now, what that does, then that profoundly changes expectations of where interest rates are going to go, right? So okay. it's a bit like we were talking last week about the So difference. they go higher. They will go higher. Right, exactly. Okay. Because yeah. the economy refuses to back down. Right. So consequently, the expectation now is that the Fed will have to do even more, right? Right. And then, of course, that feeds into the policy conniptions that are going on in the United States. And when I say policy conniptions, the big problem with the United States, and there are many, and we're going to talk about them, but the major, major dilemma is that policy is now absolutely ideological. 
So in the past, American macroeconomic policy, that's fiscal policy, monetary yep. policy, everything, would have been some sort of consensus around what they used to call the Washington consensus, which is, okay, where should the society be going? Are we looking to create this sort of society, that sort of society? And policy, by and large, was kind of bipartisan, the big numbers, right? Mm. Now mm. that's all shattered. So policy is unbelievably partisan. So fiscal policy, whether we should spend, save, tax or not, has now just become 100% ideological. And the problem for that is that it means America has no direction. So right. the direction yeah. is only ideology, right? Mm. So the right wing have become even more right wing. Yeah. And the center left, as a result of Bernie's success in the last election, and Bernie's, have become more left wing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that space in the middle, which Joe Biden inhabits and has inhabited extremely well, yeah. it just vacillates between these two. That's the first thing. The second thing And is, by the way, that's just going to get worse in the run-up to the 2024 election and beyond. And then you have, okay, well, what about industrial policy in America? You know, what about mm. where the, the society's going? That is now all framed with respect to a battle with China. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you have domestic policies ideological, right? Industrial policy, which should, by and large, again, be framed with the needs of the United States, is now being framed by a putative frozen Cold War with China. Mm. And this implies that America's policy is all over the shop, right? And all the while, the economy is saying, we're not having it. Yeah, yeah. So for the first time in a long time, it seems that the political, economic, administrative establishment have a very, very lackadaisical grasp of what's going on because they're pulling from all different directions. Yeah. And this, I think, is a problem for, for the Americans. We're but, going to talk about... what happens? But what happens, though? Like, how do you get out of this? And, and what do you want to well, get out of it? Fascinating things. Like, if it was Britain, like Brexit, it's also mm. huge contradictions. Right? It wouldn't matter because Britain doesn't matter in the world, right? right? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. matter, right? Or not as much. Nobody's looking over the shoulder thinking, what's Britain doing at the top table? Right? Yeah. But they're definitely looking over the shoulder thinking, what's America doing? Yes, of course. Because as we said the last time, the Americans are come back to this idea. They have this, what we call this exorbitant privilege, which is they print the world's global currency. Yeah. Right? For we now. Print the world's global currency. Yeah, I think for quite some time. Okay. Right? Until there are hundreds of thousands of people banging down the door to get into China, to immigrate into China. China will never become a global leader. That's my, Ooh. that is my prediction, okay. right? Okay. Is that what you have are two very, very different types of country. But the point is why America is important is it prints the dollar. Yeah. And the dollar determines what is what we call the risk-free rate of capital. Yeah. And therefore what happens to the American bond market is really important. And the whole world... This was our R-star stuff star. From, the, from last yeah, week. The whole, the whole world, whether we like it or not, and many people don't like it, and those many people vary from Macron in France mm. to Xi in China to Putin in Russia. Whether we like it or not, the gravitational pull of the global economy is still America, mm. right? Now, you are right. A country that has 4% of the world's population ain't going to have that position indefinitely. Yeah. But it still has it now. Yeah. And since the war in Ukraine, you can argue America's position has become stronger, not weaker, because it's the only one that has a military power. Yeah. You know, the, the key to military power is how far you can project your power. Yeah. That's the real thing. So, for example, when the Brits invaded the Falklands, right? Mm. Remember the Brits invaded the Falklands, right? When 82, 82, 82 right? 
people didn't think it was that bizarre that a British flotilla ended up down in the South Atlantic, right? Because they had been doing that for a long time. Could you imagine that the Argentinians invaded the Hebrides? Yeah. Right? People would have thought, wow, that's mad, yeah. right? Because it's all about how far from your homeland can you project your power, yeah. right? And what the Americans have done via NATO is in Western Europe and, of course, in Southeast Asia, they are able to project American power thousands of miles from Washington. And that's the key. Yeah. And that's yeah. why America counts, because one, it's the global currency, yeah. and two, it's the global policeman. But whereas you were just saying, all this infighting and this kind of ideological scrapping, yeah. political scrapping and economic scrapping is just going to weaken America. It's going to absolutely, ultimately, either it'll absolutely weaken and divide America and it'll go back to, you know, interesting, we're going to talk about the census and the historical mm. context, right? The extraordinary battle at the heart and soul of the United States from 1790, John, after yeah. the revolution, was between the Republicans and what was called the Federalists, right? Yeah. They weren't the Democrats, they were the Federalists, right? They morphed into the Democrats. But the Republicans wanted America to be an isolationist country and a slightly almost de Valera-esque agricultural idyll where the great idea of America was going to be almost wholesome homesteaders, you know, religious, all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. This is the Thomas Jefferson worldview, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, our friend Alexander Hamilton was much more of the, no, 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 we've got to compete with the world. Mm. We've got to be out there. And that division in America has been constant. There has always been a deep, deep isolationist strain in American politics, which is where Trump is. Yeah. Right? Trump yeah, is yeah, part yeah. of that movement. Yeah. Right? Although you can't see it because you can't put him side by side with the founding fathers. It seems a bit weird. But he likes to do that. <laughs> but the point is that he's but he but he's from that tradition. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the opposite tradition, which is embodied now by the Democratic Party, which is very much America's place in the world. And as you said, you know, all these battles about whether about the, the debt ceiling and the budget deficit, when you actually interrogate the position of these people, peoples, these two sides. Mm. One is a globalist America and one is an isolationist America. And what the Americans have is the two privileges. One is they print the dollar. The second one is they've got those two amazing big things called the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, yeah. And that protects them. Yeah. It really protects them. And they're also self-sufficient. America mm. can, in a sort of a Mad Max dystopian future world, if you wanted to imagine that, America can be isolationist. Mm. It can't, whereas Europeans can't, because we're stuck in the same cotton with all the other lads, right? <laughs> so we've got land borders with everyone. So that, that's when we can come back to. But, but here's the thing, though. How can you be isolationist and have the reserve currency of the world? That, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Well, you see, lots of, lots of, well, the Americans would say, look, the, we are the reserve currency because you want it. It's what right. John Connolly, right, who yeah. was Nixon's, obviously Irish-American finance secretary, said to the French when the Americans broke away from Bretton, Bretton Woods in 1971, he said, the dollar is our currency, but your problem. Yeah. And that's what they say. So the Americans say, look, you want it. You settle your trades with it. But yeah. that's, that's bullshit because they actually have created the World Bank, the IMF, everything. They've created an entire post-war, post-Second World War structure yeah. to ensure that the dollar is the currency. And the reason that is is because the dollar 
gives Americans massive amounts of soft power. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to the American debt ceiling and interest rates and stuff, and the economy refusing to give up, yeah, could we have another Paul Vacher twenty percent? Uh, well, rates? no, I don't think it go that high. But we could definitely have a situation, I and mean, we talked about it before, this is kind of 1970s monetary history a little bit. We could have the Arthur Burns dilemma, which is they don't raise interest rates quick enough. Yeah. The economy refuses to slow down. Inflation becomes embedded in deep within the system. And Bob's your uncle, you have much higher interest rates for much longer. That is obviously the big, big yeah. risk within the United States. But in order for that to happen, you need to have a president who's prepared to do that. And, you know, the the much maligned Jimmy Carter, who all the right-wingers say was weak and whatever, he yeah. was the guy who gave Vocker the job. Yeah. He was the guy who employed a hard man to do a hard man's job. Yeah. I'm not too sure. I think, I think the dilemma, though, is that as long as the economy continues to rally, the rate of interest rate has to remain high. That means the real rate of interest rates has to remain extremely high and very tight in historical contexts, which means the debt burden that has been built up since 2008, but obviously through the pandemic, particularly in the private sector, mm -hmm. things will break. Yeah. You know, balance sheets will implode. So this is, the, this is the intellectual dilemma, which is as long as inflation and the economy are stubborn, the chances are that more and more exposed balance sheets will have to be refinanced. Because there's no finance in the refinancing mm. game because interest rates are higher, those balance sheets will break and those companies will go bust. So that's the, the big dilemma. And of course, for Joe Biden, the fear is that all happens in the fourth quarter and then to the first quarter of next year. Yeah. And then he's looking into an election cycle. And the debt ceiling debacle will just come back again. Well, they've kicked it out for a while. That's a real yeah. kick the can down the road. But as, as you know, as I've always felt, you know, that I think crises are bad enough to manufacture your own crisis. You want to be a real gobshite. You know, it's a yeah, general yeah. rule yeah, in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, life's hard enough. Yeah. You don't manufacture your own crisis. And the, the, the Republicans have done that for yeah. their own. And it's because they believe in the day of reckoning that one day everything is going to go to shit and they're going to have to... You mean Armageddon? Yeah, that's, they believe in it. I mean, there's... Yeah. there's there's a steep strain in the Republican Party in the United States that believes in the morality of everything and that is immoral to be running budget deficits. And of course, and we're going to talk about this next week, because why? Because it's it's welfare and it's poor people and yeah. you're looking after those people and drug addicts and la, 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 la. Yeah. So that's what they believe. So if the society doesn't collapse in its own internal inconsistencies, which is what they want, yeah. well, then hopefully the financial markets will do their job for them and will collapse that way. But it's all about endism, John. Max yeah. Nordau, remember we said we yeah. were sitting in the pub talking to Max with his long beard? Yeah. Armour getting out of here. Armour getting out of here, exactly, exactly. Anyway, let us go on to the census. Yes, let's do just that, Max. Just so you know, the Irish census came up. We do census every five years. Many countries will do them every 10 years. We do them every five years because the country's changing so quickly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that after a bit of this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Mac, the census came out. It was carried out in April 2022. Yeah. So the first kind of results are out, which is a real treasure trove of stuff. It is. It is, John. I'm glad to see now that after years <laughs> of this podcast, you're turning into someone like me who says, oh my God. No, it is good it's though. Like, it's, this it's, is like this is like a porn mag for teenage economists when we were top kids. Top shelf stuff. Top shelf stuff. Oh my God, here it comes. Right. No, but it, but it, is, it is fascinating. But give us your so, first the first blush kind of. is the first blush is it's it's interesting. You know we're talking about the states there, right? Mm. The first, and I'm just going to talk about the history, a little bit brief discussion about census, right? The first census in the United States was in 1790, and the United States had had their revolution, obviously, in the late 1770s, right? Mm. And the 1780s were an extraordinary period of complete flux in the states, right? They were trying to come up with there was this, this idea of the Federalist Papers. They're trying to come up with what are we going to do now, now mm. that the Brits have gone? But they were petrified that the Brits were going to re-attack, right? Because the Brits sort of licked their wounds and said, we're going to go back and have that, mm. right? They had hyperinflation. Too much of a big prize, actually. It was too much of a big prize. And the Brits were realizing, hold on a second, if we have a second go at these guys, yeah. we'll hammer them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were really afraid about that. They were also afraid their, their mates, the French would start to encroach on them. Was it French revolutionary mates mm. who would start to encroach on them from around Canada, yeah. right? They had hyperinflation. And at the core of the patriot movement, which is always the case, revolutions are great for getting people together. But once the revolution's won, all the actual differences amongst the gang yeah, tend yeah. to emerge. And there were the Republicans and Democrats and all this sort of stuff also they had a huge amount of debt that they couldn't pay. Mm. So the, the economy was a complete basket case. And what Washington was hoping was that the census would prove at least they've got a big, strong, muscular population. And that at least would suggest to them and their enemies that America was a strong country. Mm. And they did the census in 1790, and there was only 3.9 million of them. <laughs> and Washington was like, oh, shit, there's not that many of us. So if he goes back to Jefferson, mm. he says, count them again. Right? <laughs> A bit like the Irish. Like Trump, actually. Exactly. Find me some more votes. Find, it was actually, find me some more people. Yeah. yeah. Jefferson came back and miraculously said, oh, we've got a population of 4 million, which is yes. a nice round figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fascinating thing for Irish people is our population in 1790 was also 4 million. So the population yeah, of this yeah, island yeah, yeah. Jesus, was the yeah. same as the population of the United States. Yeah. Now I'm talking the white population of the United States. 
Of black course, slaves, of course, of course. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The Native Americans, the yeah. white population. But think about it, right? There's now 330 million Americans. There's only 5.1 million of us now. Yeah. So our population was in 1790 the same as the United States, mm. but something much more telling, evocative, and insightful, I think, is if you look at the census of 1840 in Ireland, there were 8 million people here. The census of 1840 in Netherlands showed there was 2.9 million Dutch people. <laughs> so the Irish population doubled in 50 years. It doubled in 50 years. It was fascinating. riding going on. Riding wholesale. In fact, one in three children were out of wedlock. Oh, be Jesus now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was, but, it was but just... The, uh, what drove that? Riding, I'll tell you, John. <laughs> when a boy meets a girl and they love each other very much. <laughs> when mummy and daddy... <laughs> oh, okay, let me just take some notes, okay, Mike. <laughs> start again, right? So what it was about, right, was the population in Ireland exploded in the 50 years between 1790 and 1850. The major reason was the reason it collapsed thereafter was the potato, right? Right, right. And it was a cultivation of potato because basically what happened was they found a crop that people could subsist on, right? So the history of humanity up until very, very recently, up until increases in productivity in agriculture has been the history of famines. So basically what happened in most economic history is that people were caught in a brace of the harvest and disease. Mm. So the population ceiling of most countries for the vast majority of human history has been capped by disease and by famine. Mm. And Ireland was exactly the same. So thousands of people starved every single year. And this was the way in which the population, Mm. except if you find two things. One, is if, if you find medicine to eradicate the disease, that will change population dynamics. Sure. Or two, you find a crop that will be able to sustain the population more than what they were previously depending on. Mm. And in the 18th century, Ireland became overly dependent on potatoes. And potatoes were a subsistence crop which didn't particularly nourish the people, but it allowed enough people to live. So what you have is you have a population dynamic. So the natural tendency for humans is to have explosive populations. And what the planet does up until that period was it put a cap on that, right? Yeah. And then Malthus, the whole thing comes from Thomas Malthus, who wrote this big thesis on populations. And what he said was that populations have a naturally called positive checks, that when a population gets out of control gets too big for its boots in effect. Mm. What you will have is you will have starvation, right, number one, or disease. And thereafter, having been traumatized by the experience of losing so many people, people will have what you call positive checks. You will change your behavior towards babies and having babies. And yeah. that's exactly what happened in Ireland after the famine. Yeah. Yeah, Irish yeah. people didn't have kids. We didn't marry. The percentage of men and female who remained unmarried went through the roof. The kind of old maids, mm. Irish bachelor farmers, that concept. That was really new. So we go from a period between 1790 and 1850 where we are riding like the Jesus, everyone's riding loads of kids, (laughs) right? To the trauma of the famine, which is the shock, to a totally different approach to procreation. 
after that, to yeah. reproduction. We stopped having babies. And this is an amazing, amazing statistic because no other country in Western Europe has had a similar population dynamic. So I'll give you the, the figure that really underscores this. In 1840, and this is why censuses are so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. actually reflect something much bigger than economics. They reflect us. Mm. In 1840, there were 2.9 million people in Holland, in the Netherlands, right? Mm. There were 8 million people in Ireland. Today, there are 17.1 million people in Holland. If that Irish population had gone on the same trajectory as the Dutch population, there would be 49.1 million people on this island today. <laughs> Think about it. Jeez. Nearly 50 million paddies, right? Jesus. Only if we copied the Dutch experience. Yeah. So this is not saying, I mean, the Dutch were slightly an outlier in Europe, but Irish population dynamics are so weird that had we followed the trajectory of Holland, we would have 50 million people odd living on the island. That would be a hell of a housing crisis. That would be a hell of a housing Would you imagine the amount of Roy Keynes we'd have? Yeah, true, proper footballers, true. Yeah, proper true. footballers. But, yeah. but of course, that is the key. So this idea, like, you know, that even to, to, to update it to now, that Ireland is full. Yeah. Ireland is unbelievably empty. Ireland yeah. is a completely empty island yeah, when yeah, it comes yeah. to population. So now the population is at 5.1 million for the, for the first time since the 19th century. Just kind of mad when you yeah, think it about is. it. Because, of course, the famine just changed everything. A, the amount of people who died, the amount of people emigrated. And the other positive check, of course, is not that you just change the way you have kids and how many kids you have, but those kids who are born leave because they're yeah. afraid of what might happen yet again. Yeah. So people in Ireland. It's, it's a, a deep psychological that, scar. And it's a shame that we don't have the real records for that. And that's one of the big tragedies yeah. of the, uh, the four war. courts being, being yeah. because we had records, really good records of what people thought and what people imagined and all this sort of stuff. And that's why for me, these records are great because what they do is they just give you a snapshot of a society at a certain time. Yeah. And if you want to investigate a little bit more about Holland, for example, what you see now is the difference between house prices, this is what really annoys me, right? Mm. Is that when you have a society that is so heavily populated, what they really value is land. They realize this is a really scarce resource. So the Dutch have managed to put all those people in that tiny little band of land, most of which was underwater. Yeah. They, re they, re yeah, they yeah, recycled yeah. most of it, they reclaimed most of it. And an amazing statistic is Holland is the second biggest agricultural exporter in the world, not per head, not per head, Per volume. Really? Holland is a bigger agricultural export than France, than Italy, than Britain. It's extraordinary. What, what, what are they exporting mostly? Everything. Perfect. Everything. Tulips. Loads and loads of flowers. Yeah. Loads and loads of cheese. Loads and loads of meat. Loads and loads. It's, it's an vegetables. The yeah. Dutch are a huge producer of vegetables in greenhouses. Yeah. So if you ever fly over Holland, you realise there's a whole part, there's just all these greenhouses yeah. everywhere, right? But the point is they have understood that land is valuable. We do the opposite, right? For us, what we do is, what I always call it the paradox of land in Ireland, right? Mm. Which is that our agricultural output, although quite high, is still nowhere near the Dutch. Mm. And yet our land prices... But it's a totally different similar. type of agriculture, though, as it, well. It is, but the Dutch really value, like, this is a piece of land. And if you, mm. look at, if you look at house prices, right? So the rule of thumb is that the more densely populated the country the higher land and house prices should be, which makes sense. There's more people mm. looking. There's a yeah. much higher demand yeah. and fixed supply. I'll just give you the statistics, right? Today, the average cost of a home in Holland is 390 grand. 
Okay. The average cost of a home in Ireland is 309,000, right? Okay. But there are 502 Dutch people per square kilometre, and there are only 72 Irish people wow. per square kilometre, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So this means wow. that Irish land and houses are, relative to the population, five times more expensive than Holland. So how is that? It is because it's a scam. Right? It's foisted. Go on. Irish land prices are kept artificially high. Because if they were if the market was allowed to do its thing, land prices would collapse. Because there's no inherent demand like there is in Holland. Yeah. So yeah. of course it's a combination of zoning, planning. Yeah. It's a combination of the tax system. It's a combination of the finance system, which inflates land prices by funneling cash into it. But the upshot is, and this is where we go to the census. The census is very revealing now about the amount of people who are renting in Ireland, yeah. right? Because things are so expensive. So basically it is, as I've always said, the housing crisis, the land crisis, is nothing more than a policy prescribed heist from young workers to old landlords. It reminds, all the time, right? Mm. It's like when, when, you, when you look at any policy that doesn't make sense based on the fundamental economics, then you yeah. think, aha, what's going on here? And what's actually going on here is one section of the population, now typically the old, are actually bullshitting the young through the mechanism of house prices. And if you look at what's going on here, right, obviously the population is increasing quite dramatically. Immigration is increasing much quicker mm. than in most other countries, right? So if you actually take right now, since, you know, 2016, the population of Ireland increased by... More or less 390,000. Mm. 170 odd thousand come from local Irish people having more babies, yeah. right? Called the natural increase. And then the other, what, about 220,000 is immigration. Now, that of course puts pressure on the housing system. And what you see where it's really, really felt is the amount of people renting here, which yeah. has changed dramatically. Again, according to the last census, there's been a 37% increase over the past six years in rent across the board, right? Mm. And more and more families are renting at every price point, right? But if you look at the rental accommodations charging more than 400 per week, nearly four times as many households are paying this rent in 2022 than yeah. it did in 2016. So that's phenomenal. That's incredible, right? yeah. That it is, is phenomenal, incredible. right? And what should be happening is you should look at the census and you say, okay, how many old people are there? How many young people are there? Mm. In Europe, on average, there are three workers to every one old person. In Ireland, there are five workers to every old person. Right, yeah, so yeah. our population is, is a kind of a sweet spot. Mm. The implication should be that young Irish workers get a demographic dividend. Mm. They should be paying less taxes. They should have more take-home pay. They should have more after-cost income mm. because there's more of them supporting older people. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the case. All those gains that should be accruing to young people because they're supporting less old people are being taken away from them in rent. Yeah. Do you see what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at every stage, younger people in Ireland are being shafted by structural problems within the system. And of course, then you ask, well, why do people become more conservative as they get older? Mm. It's because you increasingly have a stake. You have a home, yeah, you have yeah, this, yeah. You that, wanna, that job, you hang on and you want to hang on. Yeah. But what that's doing, and you can see it in the census, you can see it in these figures, it's driving this wedge but between the young and the old at every stage, which is why the young are going to 
want to vote radical. Yeah, but see, and see, for me, the crucial thing about the census is that it points the way. Really, it's a big signpost yeah. of what needs to be done and where to spend that extra sixteen billion windfall that we got. It's that everyone's even, been talking. It's, it's not a windfall. I keep saying it's not oh, a yeah, windfall. Yeah, yeah, sorry, it's sorry, actually, sorry. Yeah. It's actually, it's a, it's a, it's the structural way in which the economy has evolved. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You know what the census is saying to us is, you have a serious transport problem. Yeah, far too and many housing people. problem and, and the housing energy problem, problem is a transport problem. It's about yeah. getting from A to B quickly. Yeah, if we had a proper transport system, right, which can only be built by investment, you can't magic it up. This is a tiny country, as I've said before. Had we got a TGV style, French style TGV train system, yeah, the journey between Dublin and Cork would be under forty minutes, right? Yeah. Think about it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The journey between Belfast and Cork, you've got to think of long term, you know, this cathedral thinking, what are, how are we going to figure mm. out what's going to happen in the country in 50 years' time? will be under an hour. So that's where you have to go. And then you have a small country, you put in a good transport system, you don't have a housing problem because people can live miles away from each yeah. other. And also, as we see from the census, look, one third of people are working from home now. Yeah. This is a big, big change, right? Four out of five people work from home for some part of the week. So we can build in all sorts of areas as long as we have a transport system. Mm. So what you're saying is absolutely right. What the census is saying is build a high-speed rail network. Do not balk at the price. Do not balk at the fact that we could build too much capacity. Because remember what I said, it's when you're in a country that's growing, right? Mm. It's like having a teenager with shoes, a boy, you know, yeah. a 14-year-old boy who had five, size six shoes yes, yeah. last month, size eight, over-engineered the country and use all this money Stock now. the fridge. Yes, stock the fridge, John. This is like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is the great thing. I'm talking about over-engineering. John's thinking, okay, if we go on the lash right now. It's about lunchtime now, isn't it's it? It's about lunchtime now. If we don't stock the fridge, we'll be out of gargle for the night. So it's the John Davis approach to the Sanchez, stock the fucking fridge. <laughs> Talk to you later. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.